0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church. Living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus the Christ has a goal to serve God. On that goal, he remained focused. He had a purpose to teach love. On that purpose, he remained focused. He had a mission to demonstrate to people how to lovingly serve each other while serving God. To that mission alone, he gave all of his energy. In his own words, he revealed the power of having a purpose when he said, But for this purpose was I born. In essence, Jesus was saying to us, When your life is for a purpose, you will rise above all difficulties. Focus on the goal. Focus on the purpose. Focus on accomplishing the goal. Each day, hundreds of thousands of people get out of bed with no goal. Going to work is not a goal. It is an activity. Paying bills is not a purpose. It is an activity. Providing for a family is not a mission. It is an activity. Your goal is the what of your life. The goal is not the place you begin. It is the place you end up. Your purpose is the why of your life. Why you as an individual are moving toward the goal, the end. Your mission is the how of your life. Once you are clear about the what, the why, and the how, you have a focus. You have something to live for that moves you into, through, and out of the activities of your life. We were each born for some purpose. Jesus was clear. He was focused. He mastered his mind and his life with focus. He was kind enough to leave us instructions on how to do what he did. He said, follow me. For the things I have done greater things than this shall you do. It's here in the Archbishop's Corner that Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair makes us aware that the Master Teacher left us instructions. He said, do as I have done. In the Archbishop's Corner, we stay focused. You turn your attention from the activities of daily life and you discover your goal, your purpose, and your mission. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us discover the why of life, our purpose, and our mission. How are you today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: I don't know if the pandemic concerns have put this issue back on the front burner, but it seems like Omicron, this new variation, is so contagious that it has triggered a greater heightened awareness of the possibility that so many people have come down with this variation now. Have you initiated any new regulations for our parishes now?
1: Well first of all I think you would agree that we're all sick and tired of hearing about the True. pandemic it's just consumed it's like a great uh, shadow over us for years now and sadly it is uh, still rearing its ugly head and apparently it's going to be with us for a while longer uh, the this peak yeah I've I've tried to tell the pastors just to be very uh, careful about certain things it's nothing new in the sense that everything that's mentioned is stuff that we've been dealing with for the last couple years I just want us to be uh, as careful as we can be with regard to the things that we're doing at the liturgy. You know, the other day a a pastor, I was informed that he said that he had only 91 or 92 people at Sunday Mass, uh, one of his Sunday Masses, but there were 300 people following it by live streaming. And I suppose that's good and bad news at the same time, you know. It's bad that so many people don't feel that they can come to Mass. And I certainly do respect their decision if it's for health and safety but the the good news is that they still are, are at least willing to participate in mass online or, or live streaming yeah. but again you know that's not the same as actually celebrating mass it's certainly not the same as receiving holy communion so i'm very concerned you know about our priests too that we, there have been some of our priests that have, have tested positive our schools, you know, our, our teachers and administrators and pastors are really dealing with uh, some very challenging situations uh, in as much as, um, you know, if somebody tests positive, a teacher, then do we have a substitute? Uh, what about monitoring the, the children? And so I think, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's very good that the children are still able to go to school. But on the other hand, uh, it, it's uh, becoming kind of a rocky road and it's a rocky road, also, for everything about getting uh, the personnel when people are are sick. I mean, I'm no, I'm speaking here as an absolute amateur, but I, I have the feeling that eventually, many of us, or most of us, are going to get this, uh, but may, hopefully in a in a toned down form, mm-hmm. like more similar to the flu or something like that. But in the meantime we have to be uh, very uh, careful and uh, and just do the best we can.
0: I think that you're absolutely right. Most of us, I think, are sick and tired of being sick and tired of this pandemic. But what what do you say to somebody who who says to you, well, Archbishop, I don't think that I should go to church, so I'll watch it on a live stream or I'll watch the television mass?
1: Well, I say that's fine. I, I, have to, I respect the the honesty of their judgment, that they really feel that they're protecting their health as long as it's accompanied by a a firm (laughs) desire to resume going to mass as soon as this threat is over.
0: Today is Religious Freedom Day, and this annual observance to protect and promote religious expression rights is declared by the president each year. Freedom of religion is a fundamental human right that protects the conscience of all people. However, many people have adopted a view of religious tolerance rather than religious freedom. For so many people around the world, finding religious tolerance is increasingly a matter of life and death. Christianity is currently the most persecuted religion in the world. Any thoughts as to why this would be so, Archbishop?
1: Well, history takes its turns, and uh, I, I'm i particularly— um, well, first of all, I think we've talked about this before, that There, maybe even the last program, there are a lot of people— in the world suffering for their faith. But yeah. in our own country, we also have to be very careful, you know, um, because for example, if it's against your religion to assist or to perform an abortion, and uh, we have a government that's threatening to tell us that uh, we, you have no choice, you have to do this. Uh, that's really very serious matter. So yeah, a freedom, you know, of freedom, all of our freedoms are very precious, and uh, we shouldn't take them for granted. I think we sometimes take too much for granted. We have to be very vigilant about, about these kind of things. And today, when there's so much contention about uh, things and about fundamental questions about the human person, about the, about life, about uh, conduct, we have to be sure that we don't we don't let our guard down. And I, when I say we, I don't mean just Catholics, but everybody about religious liberty.
0: Tomorrow, we observe the national holiday for Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. While he was not a Catholic himself, we celebrate the life and the work of Martin Luther King Jr. because his goals are aligned with the themes of Catholic social teaching. We recognize his efforts to advance human rights and civil rights as certainly being in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the life and dignity of all people especially in solidarity with the downtrodden, regardless of skin color or other differences. Our lives have been assaulted during the past few years with accusations of racism. What are your thoughts, Archbishop? Is racism on the increase today? Well, that's hard to say. Uh, I think
1: certainly the need to be very vigilant about it is very, very much... uh, part of, of what we have to be concerned about today. Because sadly, the human person, we uh, sinful nature that we have, we always tend to look upon differences with prejudice uh, and even discrimination. The United States is supposed to be a place where, uh, you know, people can enjoy the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and their religious beliefs unimpeded and on equal terms. So we know that uh, given our history, uh, we know that racism has been a very strong and ugly element uh, of American life, beginning uh, particularly through the institution of slavery that continued in our country uh, against black people and for so long. So I think we all have to examine our conscience about our attitudes toward people of other races and cultures, and we have to do everything we can to Uh, to overcome that and to respect everyone. So on Martin Luther King Day, I think it's uh, very appropriate that we honor him. I think he made a great contribution to our nation by this nonviolent protest that led to great change. And, uh, you know, he was a minister of religion, even though a lot of people uh, try to ignore that fact, Um, you know. And uh, I think that that brings him closer to us as well as someone who was— bore witness to the gospel.
0: That's true. And this week is filled with all kinds of celebrations and that we need to acknowledge. For instance, Tuesday begins the week of Christian unity, a Christian ecumenical observance kept annually between January 18th and January 25th. Christians are reminded of Jesus's prayer at the Last Supper for his disciples that they all may be one. Can you point to any recent steps taken toward the advancement of Christian unity, Archbishop?
1: No, I really can't, uh, to be very blunt about it. Mm-hmm. I used to be an ecumenical officer when I was a priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit. I participated in many, uh, not only ecumenical, but inter-religious things uh, with uh, Muslims and Jews. And uh, I still try to, as best I can, uh, to, to maintain that kind of connection uh, here as Archbishop of Hartford. But Ecumenical groups uh, of that nature have fallen for the mar- most part on hard times. There isn't a lot of the activity there was uh, twenty five years ago or more. I wonder why um, that would be well i i think I think it's partly because of within comm- churches themselves there there is not the same motivation or the same strength of of the movement, but we do have to. Pray uh, for, uh, for uh, the unity that Christ prayed for, that all may be one, and uh, through mutual understanding and respect. I think in some ways, with regard to Judaism and Islam in our country, that's a, uh, equally important to understand, uh, you know, and respect uh, people of these uh, faith traditions.
0: Archbishop, Friday of this week marks the annual March for Life, and Saturday January 22nd is the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion in this country. Do you want to say something about that?
1: Well, I think we talked about it a bit that came up the last program. And I believe I mentioned that we weren't sending our young people uh, to Washington this year with COVID and all, and that we were going to do something locally. But I, since last week, I found out that because of COVID, uh, the event that we were planning for our young people is uh, going to be moved to April. Uh, rather than doing it in January.
0: Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from a Pope, the Pope's message delivered on June 8th of 2014, and it's called Enter into the Trinitarian Life. The Pope says, Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. These words of Jesus refer to his inner exaltation, where the word gracious describes the Father's saving and benevolent plan for humanity. Divine graciousness made Jesus rejoice because the Father decided to love humanity with the same love that he has for his Son. Luke speaks of a similar exaltation in Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the good news that leads to salvation. Mary carried Jesus, the evangelizer par excellence, in her womb when she went to Elizabeth and rejoiced in the Holy Spirit as she sang her Magnificat. In Jesus' case, when he saw the success of his disciples' mission and their resulting joy, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and addressed his Father in prayer. In both cases, the working of salvation brings deep joy. The love that the Father feels for his Son reaches us, the Holy Spirit fills us, and we enter into the Trinitarian life. Your thoughts, Archbishop?
1: Yes, well, this wonderful word, exalt, exaltation, you know, they are when, when our spirits soar, so to speak, and um, when we soar as human beings in, in, in joy. And uh, that is ultimately what our salvation is about, you know, that it's, uh, it's about joy. Uh, it's not about uh, oppression and sorrow and a dismal Attitude uh, or dour view of everything, but rather we exalt in in the goodness, beauty, and truth that God is, and we exalt in the in in the fulfillment of God's plan for our salvation, for redemption. So if we look at the cross, we realize that the cross is part of a continuum that leads to the resurrection and we have to always keep that before our eyes. We have to be able to rejoice even in the midst of uh, sorrows, even in the midst of crosses, because we know that that's not the end of the story if we're people of faith. As the scripture says, to to those who love God, all things work together unto good. And so, you know, the biggest example of that is Jesus hanging on the cross on Good Friday. Looking at it or experiencing it firsthand, you'd hardly say that, that to those who love God, all things work together unto good. But when you know the rest of the story and when you look beyond, the immediate situation, in faith you know that, that that is true.
0: Let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this Sunday when we celebrate the second Sunday of Ordinary Time. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the second chapter, and after the Gospel is presented in dramatic fashion, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, regarding your thoughts.
2: On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him...
0: They have no wine.
2: Oh, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants... Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons.
0: Fill the jars with water and they filled them to the
2: brim. Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom.
0: Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now.
2: This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him.
0: What's the message of this gospel, Archbishop?
1: Well, I think it's wonderful, uh, and it it's, tells us something very profound, that Jesus' first uh, sign... First miracle, the first sign, uh, was at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's, a, you know, a lot about this. And it's also that Jesus performed his first sign, his first miracle, at the prompting of Mary, his mother. That could be a whole meditation, either one of those things uh, in its own right. You know, we as we come off of Christmas uh, and the Epiphany, we remember that Epiphany in the church uh, calendar used to embrace and still does embrace three things and that is the three kings at Christ's birth but then the his baptism uh, when he became an adult at the hands of John the Baptist and the wedding feast at Cana and you remember one of those christmas hymns that we say epiphany hymns that we sing in church has verses de- dedicated to all those three things that these are all the epiphany, the manifestation, the unveiling, if you will, of the Son of God in this world. So this being the last of them, the wedding feast at Cana, really marriage, which today is just, in our society, uh, the turn is taking about the meaning and mystery of marriage, is just uh, shocking and, and totally removed from what's been revealed and what we believe about this great sacrament. Uh, but it's, you know, central, the, the, the Bible begins with marriage, human marriage between Adam and Eve, and it ends in the book of Revelation with the great wedding of the Christ the bridegroom and his bride, the church, in, in, in heaven. And so uh, there's a great mystery here about uh, God's relationship to us and about uh, our own creation as man and woman. I think there's an awful lot to meditate on here in this miracle of the wedding of Cana.
0: Truly, you mentioned that um, Jesus performs this miracle at the request of his mother Mary. She says to the servers, "Do whatever he tells you." What does this tell you about his mother Mary?
1: Well, that she first of all that she was the mother and she knew what she could get away with with Jesus. She was not hesitant.
0: How do we relate then to Mary knowing that she has? Well, this kind of, can we say, in with her son? Well,
1: this has always been uh, part of a Catholic sensibility about uh, the reality of Mary being the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, uh, that even in from her place in heaven, Mary has a special role as uh, an intercessor for us, because uh, we do believe as Catholics in the intercessory uh, power of the saints and particularly of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so uh, she does have that preeminent preeminent role.
0: This was Jesus' first miracle and so revealed his glory and his disciples began to believe in him, says John. Did he perform this miracle so that his disciples would believe in him? Did he perform this miracle because his mother asked for his help? If so, wouldn't that be just the motivation we need to go to Mary and request her aid?
1: Well, I think it's all of those things. And yes, it is, the re- it is as I say, the recognition of the intercession i mean it's it's an illustration right from the beginning of of intercession which is such an important part of our catholic understanding of our constitution as god's holy people and the motherhood of mary for not only jesus but uh, but the body of christ which is the church that in that sense she's she's our mother as well
0: let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners beth from waterbury says My parish has an outdoor area for Stations of the Cross and Reflection. This will be spruced up by the Boy Scouts, and members of the parish said that it will be a place for outdoor wedding ceremonies. I thought that Catholic weddings are always performed indoors in the sanctuary. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, Beth, normally, uh, yes, normally a wedding, it takes place in a parish church. But if a parish has on its own property a proper altar and uh, outdoor facility, I, I don't I don't suppose that that would be uh, out of place. That's very different than having it in a public park or like on the by beach some or some swimming like pool or something. Yeah. but outdoor masses, let's put it this way, outdoor masses are quite common. Uh, the Pope has an outdoor mass at St. Peter's Square all the time. So uh, again, if a church does have a really beautiful uh, outdoor setting right on its own property, that I don't think would pose any particular problem.
0: Henry from Wallingford says, The two most popular podcasts in the United States right now are The Bible in a Year, hosted by Catholic priest Father Mike Schmitz, and The Bible Recap, hosted by Tara Lee Cobble. The Bible in a Year features Schmitz reading Scripture and providing commentary. In The Bible Recap, Cobble walks alongside the listener and reviews that day's Bible reading. A December survey showed that 29% of U.S. adults had made a resolution about their relationship with God. So it is possible the popularity of these podcasts are a reflection of New Year's resolutions. Regardless of the reasoning, I think it's wonderful to hear people have been turning to God more. What do you think of this?
1: Henry, I couldn't agree more. I think that whatever prompts uh, people—we all are called to be, well, as Pope Francis says, — missionary disciples, that each of us in our own walk of life, in our own relationships, in our own way, is called to be kind of a spark to other people, an inviter to other people, uh, to religious faith, to belief, to the practice of the faith. And so here you've outlined two things that uh, obviously go beyond. uh, They're much more organized and, and are out there in the modern communications and I, I'm absolutely delighted to hear that. I, I think that, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of bad news these days about religious faith, but there's also good news. Mm. And uh, so I'm happy to hear this good news.
0: Neil from East Windsor says, Speaking on parenthood during his January 5th general audience at the Vatican, Pope Francis shared some thoughts on those who choose to have pets rather than children. He lamented that many couples now refrain from having children and opt instead to have pets, calling the refusal to be open to life a kind of selfishness. Pope Francis also prayed for the intercession of St. Joseph to heal the selfishness of those who close themselves off from life. This has sparked outrage amongst many people. What are your thoughts on the Pope's comments?
1: Well, I do think that uh, Pope Francis is known for speaking plainly and boldly about these matters. Uh, I think, in part, what the Pope is doing is really giving a rebuttal of this notion that's been with us now for decades, that somehow uh, human beings having uh, children uh, is somehow destroying the planet uh, and all that kind of stuff. I don't for a moment uh, deny that uh, there there are ecological challenges to the world right now. And economic ones, but it doesn't seem to me that the human race, uh, kind of committing uh, 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 suicide by by not having any children, by you know just stopping the generation of human life, that that somehow is a is a answer to our, our uh, problems. Now the Pope talks about selfishness. I yes, I do think that 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 you know if people don't want to be bothered with children. But I don't make that judgment about any particular couple. I think there, there could very well be people like that. But there's also the question of, of the, these ideologies about uh, ecology and all, that, that somehow having children is, is, uh, is wrong. And this is unhuman. Uh, I mean, and it's, it's, it's certainly not in keeping with, with responsible uh, procreation of children uh, it, within, and by responsible, I mean within the context of the sacrament of marriage, a stable, loving relationship for life between one man and one woman, and the edu- procreation education of children. To me, it's kind of hopelessness that's being put forward by this uh, refusal mm-hmm. to, have, to have any kids. And again, uh, you know, to replace that with, with the pets— you know, I, I think you know, Father John, that I, 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 I love uh, Pat's. I, you know, yeah. uh, Father Stephen's dog, Popo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I'm always we're always carrying on about Popo, and and uh, that's a great thing, but. I, I would never see a dog being a replacement for, for having children. Indeed, I think that uh, the, the, the best place uh, for a pet dog is within a family. That's where it's the most fun, you know, where there are true, kids and, and dogs. And, of course, the Pope speaks very, very boldly about these things. But I do think he's certainly on to something that, that is a serious concern.
0: Anna from Watertown has a question for you. There are occasional mentions of saints who were virgins, but I don't recall any of them being men, always women. Why is that?
1: Well, I think uh traditionally uh virginity has been ascribed to uh to women because they are the child uh, they're the ones who actually bear children. And so it's been called vir- uh, you know that the, the, the title virgin has been ascribed to someone who Uh, has not been married like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Well, I shouldn't say that not been married because uh, Joseph and Mary were married, Uh, but uh, virginity with regard to uh, uh, sexual relations leading to childbirth. But uh, that doesn't mean that that men uh, aren't virginal as well. It's just not uh, for those that have uh, been dedicated to that that life. Uh, But traditionally, that's the word that's ascribed to women.
0: Mitch from Rocky Hill has a question for you, Archbishop. He says, with the rise in COVID cases, is there a plan to have parishioners practice social distancing again when in line for communion? And will there be any changes with mask requirements or singing? Well, I did tell
1: our pastors recently that with this change, they should be very careful to follow the, the local ordinances. They should encourage mask wearing. They should make a place available if their church is big enough that's reserved exclusively for masks and, and greater distance, if that's possible. Uh, I said, follow the procedures for communion, communion line. And uh, as far as singing, uh, they have to, I said, they should wear a mask. The singers should be, the few singers should be very spaced appropriately apart. I think after two years of experience with COVID, we pretty well know what the drill is. We know what the, the things are. And I basically told our pastors that they should be expecting their parishioners to follow prudent uh, precautions uh, in all of these circumstances.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord God, you call each and every one of us uh, to make a gift of ourselves to others, whether it be in our state of life, in, in marriage, and in family, or whether it be in consecrated virginity or celibacy, uh, that in every way, whatever way you call us, it is not to be, uh, that that we should be closed in on ourselves, but that we should give of ourselves uh, for the sake of our neighbor. And so we pray that you will give us this generosity of heart. And we also ask that you will protect us and bless us during this time of uh, COVID and keep us safe and bring healing and strength to those who are sick and may almighty god bless you all in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit
0: amen archbishop thank you for inviting us into the archbishop's corner and uh, we wish you a very pleasant week there's so much ahead of us this week please enjoy it thank you you too